but I won't. Good, good, but I won't. Hustle in the morning, ball, ball, ballin' all night. Hustle in the morning, bitch, 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 you wanna fight? Good, but I won't. Good, good, but I won't. Good, but I won't. Good, good, but I won't. Ha, ha, hustle in the morning, ball, ball, ballin' all night. Hustle in the morning, bitch, 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 you wanna fight? This episode was brought to you by William Mitchell Audio. And this week, there's an exciting announcement. William Mitchell Audio is producing his own podcast, Cemetery Tales, with Sam Rutherford. They sent me over the promo, so I'd like to hear it. Here we go. For listeners with penchants for novelty. That's why our treasure is so unusual. Excitement. Novelty? Excitement? Yes. Sensuality. All I can tell you right now, Thomas, is to cool your jets. Suspense. Laughter. (laughs) Depravity and indulgence have no limit any time the intelligentsia meet for cocktails. Sprung from the hands of devilish people seeking to elevate themselves and their eternal spirits. Come for the fine caviar and hidden motives. Well, this caviar is great. It certainly is. Stay for the priceless artifacts and fiendish machinations. Who knows what could happen in an antique labyrinthine mansion owned by eccentric, newly arrived West Coast cultists. Get ready for Haunted Housewarming, Chapter 1. A heinous addition to the grim and gruesome reveries of the Tomb Watchers' cemetery tales. Knocking at the doors of destiny. How about it? My guest today is Bryn Plummer. Bryn Plummer is a native of Greensboro, North Carolina, who has called Nashville home since 2011. Bryn began her stint in Music City as a sixth grade teacher and social studies teacher at, I already messed it up, I messed up every bio, (laughs) English and social studies teacher at West End Middle School. (laughs) Following her years in the classroom, Bryn joined Teach for America's Nashville regional team tackling a slate of projects from diversity and inclusion, learning strategy, to alumni engagement and leadership. Today, Bryn sits as the Vice President of Inclusion and Community Relations at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, a 501c3 organization on a mission to make America the best place in America to start a business. In addition to her nine to five, Bryn is also owner and head designer of the Socialite Design Co. and co-founder of Mark Cosmetics. Bryn holds a BA in English and Comparative Literature from Columbia University and a Master's in Education from Lipscomb University. I'm so bad at that. <laughs> My so, bio's too long. I got to shorten it. <laughs> it's, it's what is you. up, Doug? <laughs> so, so far, this is, this is episode 15. <laughs> I've, I think so far I've read maybe three bios without mm-hmm. messing up. So that wasn't out of the ordinary <laughs> for me to do that. <laughs> oh, also I, gotta, I have to, a uh, big, uh, big heads up uh, to you and also the listeners um, for this particular interview. I don't know if you can tell, I might look a little disheveled. I, uh, I hurt my back skateboarding. So oh, no. if, uh, if I make any sudden movements in the wrong way, I will uh, probably scream. So don't worry. It's nothing. Back like, pain is the worst. Like is. a back injury is the worst. Yeah. 
That's yeah. what I get for being in my 30s and wanting to be a skateboarder still. <laughs> you know, a little bit, a little bit of pain. Listen, we're all fighting mortality right now. Like we're all we're staring down the end of the world, just doing whatever feels good each day. Like I don't know. Well, you know that, that is like what I was going to say too about like the quarantine uh, stuff. Like things, you know, habits change. And I had yes. a I had a really good habit of stretching every morning. Mm. And then I just felt I stopped doing it. And now, like you know, if I take a little little fall or whatever i get more hurt just because i'm like i'm not as flexible as i was like six months ago it's kind of ridiculous yes yes oh uh but i have a question yes how am i not being myself (laughs) (laughs) uh i just i just i I know you don't even have to answer that question i just (laughs) i brought that up because i saw it was on one of your t-shirt designs and yes it happens to be a quote from a movie that I really, really love. Oh, uh, you love I love I Heart Huckabees. I it might be my favorite movie of all time. It's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And mm-hmm. actually the the scene that that quote is from, uh, and also for anyone listening, if you haven't seen it yet, <clears throat> definitely check it out. Such a such a good movie. So good. Uh but I and I, no spoiler alerts, whatever, but there is a scene where like Dustin Hoffman, he's a he's a uh, an existential detective. An existential detective, and I can't remember the actress that plays his uh, Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin, iconic yes. of Grace and Frankie. Yes, I love her. And as a matter of fact, in this movie, uh, even uh, Mark Wahlberg is really funny. I thought he's so good in this movie. He's such a good comedic actor. That's. I was going to say that. Uh, I think a lot of times uh, <clears throat> when Mark Wahlberg is teamed up with the right director he's a really good comedic actor. And it's just like, yes. a lot of times people, people think of him as kind of like a uh, lame action movie dude, but there's times he's fun, like uh, like Boogie Nights. He's funny in Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. He just has a kind of slapstick way about him. He does, and this movie, I think what I like about I Heart Huckabees is it plays with these very high-minded philosophical ideas of what is the meaning of existence? What is the meaning of consciousness what are we doing with our lives why are we here and but it does it in a way that is super approachable and slapstick sort of it kind of if you like the good place i think this would play right in right into that lane like to me they are in the same realm of of existence and there's so much slapstick goofiness physical comedy in this movie too and mark Wahlberg. You know, I think he's probably a piece of shit in real life, like given his track record with racial crimes oh, and yeah, hate crimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, he's just a really good physical comedian. He just he just delivers. He's really is. It looks like he's very willing to sacrifice his body for a joke, which I think is a mark of a good physical comedian. I definitely want to say that I'm not sitting here uh, trying to make this podcast the uh, let's let's give Mark Wahlberg <laughs> props hour because he's uh, he's got some problematic. Uh, but there's but but his character in the movie that's the thing that he's a so he's that's a, it he's a firefighter who uh, refuses so his whole thing is that he believes that uh, fossil fuels are destroying the planet and so mm-hmm. he he will only ride his bicycle and like they they haven't been able to fire him from the fire department yet and there's a great scene where they're responding to a fire and he won't ride in the fire truck he'll only ride his bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> and he, but because of traffic, he gets there first, so it's pretty funny. And he celebrates. I actually think that role would have played been played really well by someone like a Sam Rockwell too. Um, I love Sam Rockwell. I really like Sam Rockwell. Someone who has that like intensity, or a Michael Shannon. Uh, I've never I, Michael Shannon. I feel like could do comedy really well, but someone who has that real intensity, but is also you know very physical in their in their mannerisms. And Mark Wahlberg also looks extraordinarily hot in this movie. 
which again, yeah. I am reluctant to say, <laughs> but it is just the facts. The heart wants what it wants. And Jason Schwartzman. That's, oh, and, and also Jason Schwartzman always is funny. So it's but like they, they make a great combo because you would think that like uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg would have been the, 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 the straight. The straight like, man. And then yeah. Jason Schwartzman becomes the straight man, which is like, just love it. Yeah, they did so well with that. And anyway, yeah. not like, <laughs> I know a lot <laughs> of people haven't seen this movie movies. yet. It's, it's, this movie's gonna... We're debating a movie that came out 15 years ago. We're talking... <laughs> it's a great movie, though. And if anybody hasn't it's seen it, you good. gotta see it. And we're giving it prop, the props it deserves, for sure. <laughs> and yeah, that. Lily Tomlin, Dustin Hoffman, Jude Law. That's, Jude Law. That's from the scene, uh, How Am I Not Being Myself? Which I thought was yep. pro- probably my favorite scene in the movie. Although there's some other good ones, but like there's that one There's so many good just... ones. But the How Am I Not Myself scene... And it's like, it's one of those things that I have said many, many, many times uh, or throughout my life. And it is just like one, of, I've always thought, you know, I'm one of those people who, if I get a tattoo, I, I know I have a tattoo. Um, I have one really big one, but if I get a tattoo at some point in my life, if I get another tattoo, it will be how am I not myself? Props to the one tattoo club. Me. I'm in it too. I've got one tattoo. Gang, gang. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, but uh, I guess like moving forward a little bit, I so like I had said, I'd I'd seen that quote on uh, design of one of your shirts from uh, the Socialite Designs, and we will definitely get back to that because I want to talk about it a lot. But first, uh, let's get to know you a little bit more mm-hmm. because uh, honestly, I've only met you once, so I need to get to know yeah. you a little bit more as well. Yes. How long were you a teacher for? I was a teacher for about two and a half years, um, cool. and when I was in college. I did a program that uh, was actually a work study program. It was like my work study job was for an organization, a nonprofit called Jumpstart. And it's national. Essentially, they take kids who are in college and they pair them with a low income, uh, pri- pri- sorry, not primary school, preschool in the neighborhood near the college. So it's a way to like foster community and interactions with the college population. But it's also uh, supplemental support to the teachers who were in that, in that uh, preschool. So. Its, its mission is essentially like rapidly deploying people to support early childhood educators who are already embedded in the community to uh, continue to support kids. So you're kind of like a literacy partner. So I, I wouldn't say I was like kind of a, an assistant teacher or a helper in that regard. And I just really got into it. I really got into education. I come from on my dad's side, a lot of educators, um, my grandparents on that side were both uh, elementary, elementary and middle school teachers and then principals in New Orleans public schools. So, um, so yeah, so I was not, they were, no one was surprised when I found my way to teaching, um, just after college and I taught for about two and a half years. You know, I, you probably don't know this about me, but I actually have a little bit of experience, uh, working in a middle school too, because I, I was in AmeriCorps and mm-hmm. yeah. they're, they're associated with, uh, Teach for America. And I know you worked with yep. them too. Yep. And Jumpstart <clears throat> is an AmeriCorps program too. Yeah. Jumpstart, so, uh, Teach for America, both AmeriCorps programs. Yeah. I worked in a, in a middle school in Washington, D.C., and mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of funny. Like, right off the bat, they kind of figured out what kind of dude I was, and they were like, all right, you're in charge of recess, and also, <laughs> when we go on field trips, all the kids that are not allowed to go on field trips stay at the school with you. <laughs> Which is what, honestly, staying back with the kids and not going on the field trip is a 10 out of 10 better experience in comparison to going on the field trip ever. Oh, yeah, because we went on a field trip, and I did not enjoy it. The one time they made me it's go on one. horrifying. We went to the... We went to one of the Smithsonian museums and I was just like, all my kids were out of control. I'm not a disciplinarian at all. Don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but uh, when they would stay back with me, I was like, 
Uh, it was that, that was actually was the first time I saw The Lion King. I didn't watch it as a child, so I saw it like whoa. I saw it when I was uh, twenty one. Whoa! <laughs> and, okay. You know, here's a crazy thing though: uh, all these kids they probably had seen The Lion King a million times, and we're watching it. And I got so into it. It's a good movie. And I was watching okay. it. And I was like, I was engrossed, and I was like, whoa! I want to. And then all the kids are cutting up and like talking. The only probably disciplinarian thing I ever did was I shushed everybody because I was so into the movie. <laughs> I was like, shit, guys, I'm trying to watch this movie. <laughs> so obviously not your experience uh, being <laughs> a teacher. But I want to ask you, uh, I mean, that's just like a, one of the like funny stories that I had from being uh, not a teacher, but just a... Yeah, being in the school environment. Being in the school. Yeah. Um, but can you share like one funny story from your time teaching Ooh. sixth grade? And I know you probably have a, a lot of stories, but... Just, oh my god it doesn't even matter well, which one yes well my students were brilliant and hilarious and just to this day just some of the funniest people i've met um and dynamic kids i've ever met just really 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 dynamic um i had a student who i loved i won't say his name uh because of you know protecting his identity and i think he's like 19 now which is staggering that's, yeah, that's what happens 19 or 20. We actually had, woo, this summer, uh, we had our intern start at the Entrepreneur Center. And I was looking at one kid and I, I knew his name and I was just looking at his face and I was like, I taught you. I taught you when I was 22 years old, which is one, shocking that they let a 22-year-old manage a classroom of 12-year-olds. And two, how are you a junior in college? What is time? Like, what's happening? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yes, one of my former students was old, is old enough to be a college intern at the place where I now work. Anywho, um, I had a student I loved. He had a double name. So I'm trying to think of a think up a boy's double name. John Let's John. Say his, yeah, Don John. <laughs> so Don John was just absolutely off the walls, hilarious kid, wilding at all times. Um, and he also like had a lot of expression he wanted to do. And one time we were taking a test and I had him first block and I'm not a morning person. Uh, so I had him first block and I'm usually kind of like drinking my coffee, just kind of settling in, getting ready for the day. And they were taking a test and Don John starts singing under his breath, Funky Town. Um, oh, yeah. Won't you take me to Funky Town? Like, like, Don John, be quiet. We're taking a test, please. And then he's quiet for like three minutes. And then I start to hear him humming it. And he's like, <laughs> like, imagine the loudest hum you could possibly do. That's what he was doing. And I was like, you have to stop. Like, this is disruptive. Please stop. Please. I get it. Like, we all get songs stuck in our head. And then another few minutes, he's like, quiet. He's like, yeah, I go, I'll be quiet, Miss Palmer. And then he's quiet for like another few minutes. And then I, he's erasing on his paper. And I noticed that he's erasing to the beat. <laughs> Oh, that's course, awesome. Imagine like do 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 with the eraser Funky on the paper. <laughs> and I'm like, you must stop. And then he's like, okay, I get it. He knew he was like testing me. Okay. So then like five minutes goes by, he's really quiet, he's doing this thing, whatever. And then like I'm moving around the classroom, shuffling papers, and under my breath I go, I'm like away, I'm on the other side of the classroom. I'm like, won't you take me to? funky town like under my breath and you could see don john just like sit up and like turn his <laughs> head and we locked eyes and he was like did this most sly cheshire cat smile and he knew he got me and i was like you got me bro like it's gonna be love stuck that. in my head all day nice work um I he, love when, uh, when, like, he's just so like, infectious when kids that age that like are like 
when they really get comedy early on in life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's like it's like you know a 35 year old person that's been doing stand-up for you know a decade like a lot of times been like there's a 12 year old kid out there that's funnier than you for sure he was and he knew he had me he was like i got you like you're gonna <laughs> sing all day. later he turned in a final report like later that year and um he said this portfolio is dedicated to Lucifer on the dedications page. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> just, there wasn't a thing that Don John did that I didn't just, I was, I was always teetering that line of like, you are the reason I'm going to quit. And also like, I cannot wait for you to be an adult because you're so fucking funny. Like he's so yeah. funny. Um, and I hope he's doing great things now. He was, he is so creative, so smart, uh, brilliant kid. So yeah, I hope he's doing great now. I hope so too. I I was gonna just say that you like, I mean, just you kind of touched on that, but I think that uh, sixth grade has to be a pretty hard grade to teach, and like in comparison, to maybe some other grades. Because I recall for me, like uh, sixth grade was when I really stopped like super liking to go to school, and yes, yes, I think yes. uh, that might be the way for a lot of kids too. So it's kind of curious on like what your take is. Like, you know, why do you think that is? Like, why is this that like? That's kind of like that point, like, or I think we mm. start getting a lot of kids that are like, "Oh, uh, okay, I'm I'm gonna act out, and I'm not gonna, I don't want to be here." Even if they're smart kids, and even if they're, uh, yeah, yeah, especially if they're smart kids, kids you know? honestly, yeah. Um, I, you're totally right. Um, it's interesting, you know. I was warned. I had a lot of veteran teachers on my team, which I was incredibly grateful for, like teachers who'd been at it teaching 10, 15 years, and they said get ready for after winter break because the kids come back different. And I was like, well, I didn't really get what they meant. I was like, I thought they meant like, you know, they've been on winter break. They've been at home. They've been doing their thing. So it's going to be really hard to get them acclimated back to school. What they really were saying is like, no, like they are different when they come back. And it was true. You know, kids, when they start sixth grade, I think for most children, you know, 11 or so, maybe coming up on 12, you are, you still have some of the vestiges of being a baby. You know, you still really want to be, you kind of want your teachers to like you for the most part. You want to be a teacher's pet. You're really fascinated by your teacher's life, that sort of thing. And then after winter break, something happens and you come back and you have kind of become more of your little adult self. You you are more independent. You are more not interested in the way that we do school. And frankly, the way we do school is predicated on you staying a baby who likes to take directions basically until you're out um so uh the models for school aren't great um at that age and i also think you have like that kind of growing pains you're you're really starting to articulate your identity as an 11 12 year old i mean for us what was i mean i was really into the band everclear and like the offspring (laughs) and like was sort of into that teetering of punk metal kind of stuff and like really really was into music and uh, I remember chafing going back and like when I went from sixth grade and coming back the next year to seventh grade, I like told everyone I was an atheist and I was like, and if you guys believe in God, like you're stupid. Um, so like, you're just kind of going through something. And meanwhile, we are pushing you into this super conformist, super uh, regimented uh, way of being and doing school. Um, and I think you're just looking for little ways to enact some independence and some freedom and some choice. Uh, I found that the more I was able to give kids freedom, choice, like, you know, safe freedom and choice, the less it was a struggle. Um, and it became more about how do we mediate the fact that we have a lot of different personalities and people in this room and we all need to be together. Um, that is hard to do when you're a teacher because you have things you have to do. Um, and it's also, you're an adult, you're a person who's also 
going through your own stuff. I can't believe I was like, tw- I was 23 when I taught Don John and um, my first job out of college. And I was in the first like serious relationship of my adult life, living on my own paycheck to paycheck or paycheck to like six days before paycheck. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then like doing payday loans to get by kind of stuff. And like, um, I can't believe that we all got to do life had to do life together for like eight hours a day. So it's just, it's complex at every age, but I think those critical years are really um, particularly challenging. Also beautiful. I mean, it was also really beautiful. Yeah. I've definitely (laughs) felt more grateful that I I felt grateful to teach sixth grade. When I looked at what was happening in seventh grade, I was like, like for the most part, I wasn't dealing with like kids being sexually exploratory and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure there was some stuff going on, but in seventh grade, all bets were off. <laughs> so I was grateful that I still had the somewhat of babies in front of me most days. Man, I I feel like I, could, I should tell a story about myself, but maybe I should just not. <laughs> oh, Do I was going to say that, uh, well, like, you know, technically for me, uh, seventh grade was the, uh, so I went to uh, public school and uh, seventh grade was the last grade that I technically passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, people like just don't assume that about me because I, you know, I've, I've gone to college and I went and got a degree and all that stuff, but I took a very different uh, route to get there because yeah. uh, I passed seventh grade and then in eighth grade, that was like, it was all over as far as mm-hmm. me passing school anymore. And, yeah. but it was close enough. They let me go to summer school to get me into high school. And the summer school teachers even were like, at the end of it, they were like, Hey, you didn't really do what you needed to do, but we think you're a smart kid and we think you deserve to go to high school. So they shoved me through there and then, uh, got into high school and basically, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm getting like too deep on myself. I don't never do this in this do podcast. It. Oh, do well, it. So, so in ninth grade, like I was like completely, uh, disillusioned with like enjoying school, like doing like the mm-hmm. stuff you have to do to get through school. So I failed sure. ninth grade and they wouldn't even like let me do summer school that time. So they put me mm-hmm. in ninth grade again. And Yo. Then, yeah, and then that time, uh, I had switched high school. Socially, schools. I can't believe we do it. Like, I can't <laughs> believe we make ninth graders repeat ninth grade. Like, I don't want to be with these kids, <laughs> you know? I don't yeah. want to deal with the social implications of that stuff and, like, seeing my peers go to 10th grade and me stay back. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was gnarly. And then, uh, I mean, like, I don't want to, like, uh, disparage, uh, you know, I know, it's, I know it's a hard job, the people that run the schools and stuff, but, like, at the mm-hmm. time for me, I just felt like it was a, uh, it was a very prison like experience. Everything was so like Absolutely, regimented is. and not for people like me. And mm-hmm. uh, I got like before the first semester of the second ninth grade was over, the principal brought me in. And he was like, "Hey, man, you've already been sus- suspended so many times that you can't pass this year. There's nothing you can do to do it." So, blah blah blah. And they're kind of like trying to give me like, uh, kind of a shit a raw deal. But I was very lucky. I have a, uh, so I, you know, I had a single mom, but you know, she was a very like super smart lady and she's got a PhD and she knows what the fuck she's up to. And she was like, you know what? School's not for you, but like, how about this? Like, I'm gonna let you do homeschool as long as you like, as long as you do all your shit, uh, I'll be fine with that. And I was like, all right, cool. I went to homeschool and started thriving. Oh, of course you did. And uh, I still actually, I still went to my high school occasionally. I would, I would go there for lunch sometimes. Like you just go there and see all my friends and eat lunch or whatever. Uh, Cause it was close, close enough to my house to skateboard to it. It was a very big high school. So it's very easy yes. to just walk in and yeah. out of. And uh, cause seniors can leave for lunch. So yeah. during lunchtime you can walk in, eat lunch, walk out. And I'd look like I belong there. 
<laughs> but uh, <laughs> the great thing was I ended up um, I ended up graduating high school at 17. Uh, Early? Yeah, with like because well, I went to homeschool and I was like able yeah. to take my SATs and uh, yeah. all that stuff and actually do so much better than I was doing. Uh, and, and additionally, uh, if I had stayed in school, I would have been like 20 when I graduated. So Right? Right? Like we need to, I think we're starting to, I think right around our age, and I think, I, well, I'm 31 and I think maybe you're a couple years older than me. I were like close. Um, yeah, but it, I think right our generation was when you started to see more of those options come on the table around high school. So like middle college, early college, virtual school. Um, I went to an experimental public art school that was like a magnet for the county where we had a ton of freedom, small classes, like 70 kids in a grade. I, I don't think I would have thrived in a big school by any means. Because honestly, in the generations before us, it was just when school stopped working for you, you just stopped. Like, so that's why most of us have parents, grandparents, great grandparents who just, the story is really common of, you know, so-and-so went to school until they were in eighth grade and then they left. Um, Or you have different pressures put on us uh, to provide the families or what have you. But um, I think we're really the first generation of kids who had options like that um, when school stopped working for us. And um I think it saved some. I mean, I feel like it saved my life. I think I don't think I would have been pushed to explore myself, to learn about myself. I probably would have gone to like an arts conservatory and bombed out and been really depressed and been super in debt. Well, I mean, more in debt and less to show for <laughs> it <laughs> um, if I hadn't uh, been able to go to a school like that. So I'm I'm glad we have those things, especially here in Nashville. I feel like we have a uh, quite a few options for kids for whom the traditional school model just isn't working. Well, and also, like, so many kids are in homeschool right now. Like, yeah, heck yeah. The way things are. And, uh, yeah. I was thinking, like, honestly, and I don't know how teachers feel about, uh, like, I'm sure there's some good and some bad for, like, a mm-hmm. lot of teachers that are teaching virtually. But I feel like potentially, I mean, being able to, like, all right, let's, like, let's do a Zoom class. And, like, if you got, like, uh, like a super disruptive, kid or whatever you just like can't you just hit mute and be like mute <laughs> like <laughs> lesson continued no more funky town <laughs> i really wonder i i truly don't know what it is like and i obviously have a ton of friends who are still teachers i truly don't know what it's like i think i've been hesitating to reach out and ask like hey how is this because i feel so um trepidatious and also i'm just like uh, what I, there, I feel like I have so little to offer to be supportive or helpful that I feel like what I don't want to reach out because I would just be another thing this person would have to deal with in an already weird world. But I am genuinely curious. And I've heard stuff from all sides. Like I've heard people who are saying, you know, the current way we're doing school is, of course, safer for kids in the sense that we're in a pandemic and we can't have people interacting with each other. Um and of course, we have to teach. We have to keep people safe. Our custodians, faculty, staff of schools, too. Um, I heard people say, you know, we are widening inequities by having virtual school. Uh, yes, it's different kids. We're widening inequities. I've heard people say we are worsening, given the way that this pandemic is operating and disproportionately killing Black and Latinx people. We are saving people's. We are saving Black and Brown kids' lives by having them stay at home. Um, and then we also are seeing increases in things like intimate partner violence, domestic violence, uh, because everyone's home 
Um, and there's also increasing pressures on people because there's so many economic pressures. Of course, we know economic pressures are directly tied to um, in the home violence, uh, crime, economically driven crime, all that kind of stuff. So um, it is just such a wild world. And I don't know if there is, I mean, it feels like such a cop out to say this and such a, like such a being morally relative and morally ambiguous, but to say that there really is no great answer right now. Um, I didn't want to like come across and say that like uh, homeschool is better for everybody it just, no, I don't was, think you did at all. That no, was that was my personal all. experience, and that's just because, like, yes. uh, just you know, I'm not good at sitting still. And, no, and, uh, and we have like, to sit still so much of the school day. And uh, like I said, also my mom was in charge, and she was a cool mom, and you know, she gave you know, she was like, she's like, look, I know you want to skateboard, I know you want to skateboard six hours a day. If you get your shit done, that's fine with me. And so, like, but it was didn't matter when I did it. So, like. I could get up and also I actually works so much better for teens. Like, yes, I think there's a lot of ways we can do school differently, but we kind of just have a lack of imagination about these things. Oh, you know, um, um sort of maybe, uh, maybe, uh, Betsy, uh, Devos is going to save us. (laughs) 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 Well, I think there is one thing Um, in education we can agree on and it's that that lady sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Trash dude. I fucking hate her. Uh, You know, if there's like, if there's one, I mean, there's so many things you could be. That's a piece of shit, but like, uh, uh, have you ever seen the Harry Potter movies? No, never. So in the Harry Potter movies, I wouldn't have watched them myself either, but like throughout my life, I always seem to have a girlfriend right when one of those movies comes out. <laughs> and I've been dragged. I saw them all in, all in theaters because of that what? reason. Yeah. I would never, have, wow, okay. I don't even go see movies. I want to see in theaters. Uh, <laughs> I mean, actually, no, wait, shout out, save the theaters. Um, there's this, uh, all, <laughs> save them. But, but most people listening to this are going to know who I'm talking about. And it's this, uh, character and she, she works for the government. And she goes yeah. to Hogwarts and starts fucking everything up, and because uh, <laughs> she works for Voldemort essentially or some shit. <laughs> and I wow, like, I cannot think of a better allegory for our no, that's what I was, and when I and when Beth, Betsy uh, Devos or what's what's her name Devos or uh, Betsy Devos, fuck her. When, when, <laughs> <laughs> but when she became that, I was like, dude, this is that fucking psycho from the Harry Potter movie that I didn't want to watch, but I hated that character. <sighs> oh, hey. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know my friend Dominic. You, I don't know if you, I don't know how many people that I know that you know, but uh, he was on episode nine, and mm-hmm. we used to live together when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was reading the, you know, we were in our twenties, and he was reading the Harry Potter books because he was just really enjoying them. Uh, and <laughs> he was reading the book with this particular character in it, and he's he, he would always read in the hallway outside my bedroom, like on this little bench, and he would like scream at the book <laughs> and like uh whenever she would do something you know awful to the kids at hogwarts he'd be like this this fucking bitch ah, ah. <laughs> i love that he's reading it on a bench in the hallway like he has two daughters now and so like i'm glad he cares about education <laughs> I hope he reads this. I hope he reads Harry Potter to the girls and uh, has these same little asides and outbursts as he's reading it to them. Hold up. It's time for a very special announcement. As many of you know, I've been an entrepreneur for years. And this week, I'm building a brand new entrepreneurial project. It's my new restaurant. Introducing 
Fuck you, Guy Fieri. What you think? You're better than me? Cafe. People are buzzing over the new restaurant's flagship menu item, the chili cheesecake. First, we take a cheesecake and make it into the shape of a bowl and then fill it with chili. And fuck you, Guy Fieri. What you think? You're better than me? Cafe. Head on over to myviewsaremyown.com for some exciting investment opportunities. And now back to the interview. As much as I want to believe that uh, we're going to solve the education crisis in America on this podcast episode, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to move on to some more getting to know you. But uh, before we jump ahead to the Entrepreneur Center, yep. I want to bring up, uh, you're the host of Hip Hop Karaoke here in Nashville, right? Yes, I am. Yes. I like to say I'm a multi-hyphenate, multi-hyphenate. Um, there's an entrepreneur in town named Marcus Whitney, who a lot of people might uh, recognize either by name or by face. And he uh, he uh, has been involved in a lot of different like tech stuff. Moon Toast was one of his early ventures. Uh, he works for Jumpstart Foundry. Um, he's well, well, he's one of the managing partners of Jumpstart Foundry, if I'm not mistaken, one of the leaders of it, uh, which is a health tech venture capital firm. And then he also is one of the um, co-investors for the National Soccer Club. And he's also like a mixed martial artist. Uh, he's just like, and I asked him one time, I was interviewing him for another podcast that we ran out of the, the Entrepreneur Wait, Center. So what, what like, he thinks he's better than me? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, what do you, I was like, do you ever find that, you know, you need to just like stick to one thing? I was like, you just seem like you're into all this stuff. And he's like, he's like, no, I I feel like all of, I was like, you're such a Renaissance man. He's like, all of us are Renaissance people. We are just told we're not allowed to be, or we have gotten into this thing. He's like, I, I, I don't know. He didn't say this, but just me editorializing. I don't know if it's part of like how we have really been in as a society over the past few years of like, you, like pushing a personal brand of you needing to brand yourself. And we sort of got to this place where branding yourself meant being uh, singular and that you have to be this kind of one trick pony or people think X and they think about you and, or they, you know, that sort of thing. And so when he, after that, and that was probably like almost exactly a year and a half ago, I just opened the world to me. I was like, I like a lot of different things. I'm into a lot of different things and I like performing and I can perform and do this. Um, that within a couple of weeks of that interview, he, uh, a friend of mine reached out to say, Hey, we want to start doing hip hop karaoke in Nashville. We think you'd be a good MC." do you want to do it? And I was like, sure. Um, we are do, we make no money. <laughs> we make, I'm like, I don't get paid to do it. I do get a bar tab at Bastion, which is phenomenal. Yeah, uh, because bad. I love that's Bastion Nashville can, where we host it. You can, uh, no, you can are you a, kidding? I could easily rack up 120 bucks right there. Just be like, yeah. easy, easy. I should <laughs> say they do pay us a portion. They're not like, not, <laughs> we're not indentured. Um, they do pay us, you know, a percentage of the bar tab each night. But for me personally, do, does money come to my account? No, because we like to drink and have fun. It was like what we get out of doing hip hop karaoke is just the joy of doing hip hop karaoke. Um, so anywho, yeah, we do it once a month in the pre-COVID world and people come up and we just kind of have like four rules that we want everyone to keep to, which is like hip hop and R&B only. Uh, we don't have lyrics, so you need to come correct, but you can look at your phone. Um, uh, let's see, no people who are not of African descent can say the N-word. And if... Uh, whether someone bombs or they kill it, like you got to give it up for them because it is really scared to come. You on know, stage. I actually, uh, I did come correct for that uh, shit one time. I actually showed up uh, <laughs> to that last year, but it was like the one night that you weren't there. 
Yes, yes. I, it was, I, it was uh, Halloween last year. It was yes, wild. Halloween, that I had to come packed. home. Yes, from my dad was getting a kidney transplant from my brother, and they told us Holy like a week shit. before. Right, it went great. Everyone's great, but it was when I was, I was so committed to hip hop karaoke, and also just like so hard, it's like so difficult for me to make decisions sometimes. But like when I got the call, like, hey, your dad's surgery is going to be on October 29th, which is the date of this Halloween hip hop karaoke, which we've been. I mean, we all had gotten Toon Squad jerseys. Like, we were hype. My husband had gotten a Monstars jersey, and he had gotten a morph suit so he could be one of the Monstars. Like, we oh, were hype. Sick. Oh, um, damn. So, <laughs> yeah, this, was a, this was actually uh, hip hop karaoke. This was the. Exactly. Yeah, I was, uh, I was I Rocky. Was like, <laughs> uh, I was Rocky Balboa for that so shit. So good. So <laughs> good. Like, I looked at pictures from that, and I was just like, wow. But obviously, my husband looked at me, and he was like, I was like, do you think I should like come after hip hop karaoke? He was like, are you dumb? Like, he was like, no, we're going over your dad's surgery. They'll figure it out. Um, and they did. They did a great job. But uh, yeah, I do still have feelings of like, I just want to say, you can't I, be in two places at once. I was in the right place. And at the same time, I wish I could have been in two places at once. I still have feelings about that particular uh, night because <laughs> I've, been re- I've been rehearsing uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony all day. Wait, what song? Uh, Crossroads. Oh, uh, and so it's a good. it's a t- it's a tough song to perform because like it is it's <clears> fast. It's very fast, and uh, I'm everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I miss my uncle Charles, y'all. <laughs> but I had I'm also like I'm I'm not a great uh, with uh, with the actual the harmony part, but like I can do the mm-hmm. speed rap if I practice. So I was like, dude, I got this nailed down. I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna blow some fucking minds when they see me uh, <laughs> kill this entire song. But then I was like, and I got there, and I was like, oh, Brynn isn't hosting. And I was like, fine. I'm going to sit at the bar and order, like, five drinks, and then I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, I promise you, when hip-hop karaoke returns to the world, we will have you on the top of the list for so you to perform I'll come do some other bone thugs. I'll be like, I got away with a bump, chase me, some me, roll me gauge, bang, Honestly, bang, put up in a cup, and bump, bump. No one's ever done bone thugs. Indubitably posse. They run. Like, they jumped up fence at ninety. You would be blowing <laughs> minds for sh- for true if you did bone thug. Bone thugs and stuff is like you gotta you gotta get the like the speed speed rap shit and, and also you gotta like sing a little bit. So you gotta sing. It's bit, melodic. It's tough. really about the the cadence and the melody. Honestly, you could probably like fake the words if you had the cadence and the and the pitch right. Like I'm gonna hand it, hand it. Like if you yeah. could do that, like you could the swing, cast my green and remain. Yeah, like you could <laughs> scat through it. <laughs> yeah. I think for the most part. But I wouldn't. That's cheating. I'd, I'd, I'd like that's what I was saying. Is everybody's gonna, everyone wants to show up and like. Uh, do Biggie or whatever because it's easy. Yes, I mean, like not yes. that he's not that he's not great, but I mean, like it's easy to just memorize a a Biggie song and do it. Yes. <clears throat> I just yeah. whatever I do, I want to do big, you know. A hundred percent. Like it feels. We have people rehearse. Like there's there's people who come and they're like, I want to play. I want to do like a party anthem. I want to do something that everyone's gonna love, which is I love. There's people who come and they're like, I want to do something that's going to like melt people's faces, and which I love that too. They're like, I want to do like the hardest song I can possibly do. Like hard is in like hoard song. And then we have people who are like, I want to do something that's going to like make people say, where did they get this guy? And so uh, like my husband goes up and my husband uh, for the listener is like a pretty uh, go to East Nashville and point. That's like what my husband looks like. He's a white guy <laughs> with a beard and dark hair and glasses. Um, and he's he's a precious angel, but he also is like pretty buttoned up. And so he goes up there and he's like, hi, I'm Mark. And blah, blah, blah. and he just like is a, just a little kind of looks like, you know, he would call himself nerdy. 
but then he does like young Jeezy's put on like perfectly oh, uh, with like full emphasis. And it's like, where did they get this rapping accountant? Like what happened? <laughs> like, where does, he do he the, uh, does he do the, the, the Kanye part where Kanye's auto tune? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, actually I, uh, like that's a good song for sure. <clears throat> but uh, I think one of my favorite things Kanye has ever done is just be featured on that song. Just doing that. A hundred percent agree. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think I like anything so Kanye has ever done more than that. Also, man, bringing him up right now, man, good. he's, uh, How he's pissing you? me off a little bit right now with his whole <laughs> fucking, uh, campaign run. Well, I mean, let us just pray for him. Let dude, us, yeah, I don't know look, what I'm I believe not, in, but I believe I'm that person gonna, is the only person who can help Kanye. <laughs> I'm not going to get on this podcast and talk shit about Kanye West. That's not my place, man. So I will just say like, uh, that verse and, uh, uh, put on is that that's like the hottest shit he ever did for sure but yeah hip-hop karaoke is a blast but you said you could do, do r&b there and I just, this is like this is not a written yes. question there's something off the top of my head do it can i perform kiss from a rose by seal at this must okay that's my favorite, so. my favorite karaoke mean, song it's, uh, it's yeah. i've done somewhere i it's one of those songs where you would not think it's in my range but I have sang it at karaoke so many fucking times that I can like nail it. And I'm so happy that I can do. <laughs> and that's definitely R&B, right? It's like R&B slash like arena rock. I would say, but it's yeah. performed by a black artist. So I say it's in. Hell yeah. I mean, like it's, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful song. <laughs> it is a good song. And also the crowd would get hyped. <laughs> my pleasure, my pain. My pain. Baby, there's nothing wrong with that song. It's truly perfect. Hold up. It's time to reach into the mailbag. Every week on the show, we check the mailbag to see if anyone has written a message into the show, and then we read the message out loud. This week's message comes from CatmanDo88 on Twitter. CatmanDo88 said, I don't know what's lower, my follower count or your IQ? Wait, dot, 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 dot. Definitely your IQ. Thanks for writing to the show, Catmandu88. I'm glad you enjoyed the podcast. Now back to the interview. Okay, I'm about to get to some, some more serious questions, but first. The most serious question of all. Oh, no. I heard you were posting a thing called Quarantine Cuties, and <laughs> it's like hot dudes in quarantine, and I demand to know... Why I haven't been featured as a quarantine cutie. (laughs) Well, one, Doug, you got to get the content out there, bro. Like, you have to put yourself out there to be consumable. Like, COVID cuties. Okay, the the Instagram is at COVID cuties, the number four, you. Uh, And essentially, it started because, like, when I was going through quarantine, and this is probably the first weeks of quarantine, I was uh, warning, get your kids out of the room. I was just so fucking horny and i didn't know why um i will also make sure that i like dissociate myself from my my actual my company that i work for um i was just very like keyed up and i talked to a lot of other people and they had this experience and phenomenon too i think one of the things is like we had more time with ourselves and more time to ourselves like just looking at hot dudes was nice I also, and uh the idea behind covid cuties was i was just like i was like i know other people are like super in their houses confined and like also horny what's going on what is this phenomena and also i think like pleasure and like finding things hot 
finding people hot is also like works directly against this feeling of dread and death and doom that is happening in the world. So it's probably, it's like escapism. It's fun. It's playful. And it also is like connects you with visceral feelings in your body. Like when you see one of these people in COVID cuties and we highlight like people of all genders, people of all bodies, people of all races. Um, When you see someone who sparks something in you that is like lust, it is a visceral feeling. And for a lot of us in in this weird time have been like super checked out, foggy, dissociated, whatever. And uh, when you see something that activates something in you that is like want, you have like a full body response. Like your pupils dilate, your heart rate, your heart rate quickens, your breath, pauses like stuff happens and so uh it, it's just been like fun also tiktok it, none of this would be possible without tiktok, <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> i fell headfirst yeah. into tiktok and was like what is what is that my eyes were open uh what is happening out here on these streets i also do believe in subverting the male gaze i believe in the female gaze as a powerful tool <laughs> the female oh, and the yeah. non-binary gaze as a powerful tool uh and also, I love uh, that men are going to get on the action of being Shout consumed. out uh, that uh, Donald Trump's fucking uh, trying to shut TikTok down didn't work. Didn't work. Come at, come at yeah, him. Dude. Can't get yeah, come, come at Gen Z, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> people like you are going to be like, God, that, I mean, <laughs> Gen Z gives me hope. And that's why I me hope too. that, uh, like, I going back them. to the education stuff we were talking about earlier, man, I hope these kids... Uh, Man, I hope that they make it through this with, uh, you know, like a good education, even though like things are tough and different, you know, but my... I think they will. They have this faculty of the internet that is just like beyond anything that that we have, uh, that we had. Like we are immigrants to a lot of the tools that they are native to. Like they grew up with Instagram. They grew up with a lot of things that we are just like, what? Access to creating videos and content and all that stuff. All right, let's jump ahead to the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. And, mm-hmm. and just, I mean, like, maybe just like in a, like, a, just quick, like, just so people know what that yeah. is. Like, uh, you know, yeah, what is yeah. it? And what's it all about? You know, what is that? Yes. Um, well, one, I think it is like one of the best assets in Nashville by far. We are a nonprofit. And we were created by the Chamber of Commerce and the Nashville Technology Council as basically a home for small businesses and startups that were getting off the ground. And at the time, that was like 2009, 2010. At the time, there really wasn't a place in Nashville to go if you were doing something that was like tech enabled or tech forward to start a business. There were like great resources around starting kind of a traditional um, brick and mortar store or starting like an accountant firm. Um, there were, and or like a construction company there weren't great resources for someone who was starting something like uh you know a healthcare technology application or software tool so that's really what it was and since then we've grown tremendously we supported over the course of our 10 years existing since 2010 we've supported about 10,000 entrepreneurs um last year we supported and uh vetted about 10,000 uh, 2,000 entrepreneurial ideas and we have programs so if you want to like figure out how to start a business. Like you have an idea, you want to figure out how to make it a business and also how to make it like a scalable business, like a business that can be big. Um, And it's, we kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's a place that I go either virtually or in person that gives me tremendous optimism and hope. Um, And it's not just what, it's not really what we do as staff members. Like we're here to support entrepreneurs, but it really is like the entrepreneurs who call it home and the ideas that they have. And seeing them support each other it's just like i wake up every day hype to do what we have to do 
uh, each day, which I don't, well, I uh, don't take for granted. And, you know? and speaking of you too, though, uh, so like <clears throat> you're the vice president of inclusion and community relations. And uh, I just want to ask like, uh, like what's like a typical day in the life at your job? Like, uh, yeah. Also, I'm, I'm a little bit curious so to uh, what you mean by inclusion, because I actually had a, a few a podcasts ago, I had a guy on, um, he works for the Inclusion Club in uh, the hmm. UK. And that was mm-hmm. for people, um, he's a sports guy. So it's for people, it's like the Special Olympics. It's for people with uh, physical and yeah. learning disabilities, being able to participate yeah. in sports. That's what that inclusion means. But I know this word is has a million meanings so um it really sorry. does yeah it has a lot of meanings so yes. uh, what is what is like uh like say you, like you went to work on a busy day what would you be up to yeah that's a great question so how we define inclusion primarily is uh relative to the industry that we're in so in the world of entrepreneurship we see uh especially like big entrepreneurship like big scalable businesses uh businesses that are generating a lot of revenue creating a lot of jobs that sort of thing what we see is a a dramatic underrepresentation um, and under resource provide provision for businesses that are owned by women, businesses that are owned and operated by Black and Indigenous people of color, businesses that are owned and operated by people who are like returning citizens from the carceral state or carceral system. Just like a lack of investment of energy, resources, money into those businesses. So, so that's where we see like the, the big drivers of where there's big opportunity to, to make up gains. Um, because frankly, that world doesn't look like the broader world of, of Nashville and the world. So for example, in Nashville, something like of all the companies that are generating our like gross metropolitan product, our GMP, 97% of them are owned by uh, white men. And that's just not Nashville. Um, so we know that also leads to like wealth creation and wealth creation is not being created at the same scale or at the same rate in black communities, by woman-owned companies and women's communities, all that sort of stuff. So in my job, I am going out to one. I think that um, I heard someone else on another podcast, uh, uh, Erica Jordan Thomas, describe um, equity as something that leads to equality um, and so for us, we are thinking about making an equal representation of the people that make up this city in the world of entrepreneurship and big entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship that is changing people's outcomes and, and life destinies. Um, so equality is the goal, but equity is the tool to get to that equality. So one, I run like our scholarship program that enables people to access all of our curriculum and programming and memberships uh, at a subsidized cost. And then I also oversee our are uh, really just like lead the relationships and recruitment to get a really diverse slate of candidates into our programs and members. And then I understand any of the barriers that could keep them from coming into those programs, whether it's financial or they're just like not at the right place or whatever, um, getting them to other resources that could be helpful to them. And then I think I also spend a lot of time making sure that once people are here, that the experience they have is dramatically um, is positive and creates and leads to them having a, a, a higher probability of success in their business venture. Um, so it's a lot of people work. It's highly relational. It's highly intimate. It's a lot of like holding people's needs and wants and desires and their like family's outcome and trajectory close to your heart and like holding it sacred and putting people in touch with each other. I also fundamentally believe like the biggest correlate with entrepreneurial success is a deep and well-connected network. Well then, uh, my next question definitely doesn't, uh, (laughs) I don't think it pertains to your, uh, 
your department, <clears throat> mm-hmm. maybe to like the organization as a whole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, way back in episode five of this podcast, mm-hmm. I presented a new product that I invented called a Shaky Flex. And okay. it's basically a workout device that's a hybrid between a shake weight and a bow flex. So when you try to bench press, it tries to shake you off. And I've already got <laughs> super entrepreneur Nate Derry from Made Fitness ready to endorse it. He's on, he's on board with me. He was the, the guest on that show. He originally said he wouldn't endorse me. And then at the, by the end, I had convinced him. He's down. Uh, <laughs> can the Entrepreneur Center help me become an infomercial superstar? Is that a possibility? Uh, yes, actually. Yes, 100%. Uh, yes. <laughs> we'll help you figure out. So you come to me, you have this idea. We'll help you figure out, okay, what are your needs? Well, what does a business need? It needs uh, capital. It needs a market. It needs to understand the strategy to get the market to respond to the product. Um, it needs money. So how are you going to fund your product development? Yeah, we'll help you figure those things out. You know, Nate made, made a lot of good points, though. He said that... Uh, I would be sued to death if I tried to make this product. <laughs> I think he's actually really smart because I think he's a real entrepreneur. Uh, oh, which, uh, which also you are. And uh, yeah, uh, since you're actually a real entrepreneur, uh, <laughs> let's get into this. Uh, what is the Socialite Design Co? And yes. like, can you tell me the story of how it got started? Just like hit me with Yes, that. absolutely. Yeah, so... Uh, the Socialite Design Co. is a new company that I've just started. It is a, um, it's an apparel company right now, but it will be an apparel and consumer goods, like just kind of general consumer goods uh, company. And uh, the word dissocialite is a made-up word that combines the word dissociation and the word socialite. So dissociation, for anyone who doesn't know, is a phenomenon wherein you have um, basically got like, checked out from your body. And it's really common for people who are uh, depressed, anxious, trauma survivors. It's like a really, really common phenomenon that a lot of people experience, but don't know they experience. So if you're just like foggy, you're not there, you feel like out of body, uh, you've, or you've ever been like at a party and you like can feel like you are hearing yourself talking to someone, but you don't feel like you were there hearing it, that might be when you're experiencing the association. So I experienced that a ton um, because of just being depressed. I, oh, I should, well, I should go back. I have had a major depressive disorder for most of my uh, life at this point, since I was about 14 or 15. And so over the past few years, I've just become like much more able to talk about that. And it wasn't like I ever had, well, yeah, I probably did have some shame around it. As I was saying it, I was like, yeah, I definitely had shame around it. Um, and I also think I had like limited vocabulary to talk about and understand it. So um, as I've gotten older, I've come to understand that talking and sharing for me is a kind of form of medicine uh, and also as a way to help people understand like, yeah, if I'm flaky or I'm weird this day, here could be why. It could also be another, it could just be a weird day. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I started to like really identify and start to see myself more than where I found this word like dissociation. And I'm also like really extroverted. I love to talk. I love to meet people. I love to connect with people. So I like this word socialite. And that for me, like this phenomenon of being like a really extroverted person who just like sometimes wakes up and doesn't have the energy to get dressed, shower, brush their teeth or things like that, like, and get out in the world that it really felt like those things were, I've seen them as 
separate things. And more and more, I started to see them as things that came together. And I started to get closer to people the more I owned and came to terms with my depression and uh, dissociation. So the company, yeah, go ahead. I want to give a quick shout out too, just like, uh, just for people out there that like, you know, they're going through these things. Uh, I, you know, I've experienced that too in my life. And uh, mm-hmm. I get the same thing where people are like, oh, uh, Doug's like such an extrovert and he's so outgoing and he's a, you know, he's whatever. But like, uh, I have a, an anxiety thing. Like, it, it's just, yeah. fucking, uh, yes. it's, it's debilitating. Like, it, it get like, up my, uh, you know, honestly, it's, uh, I probably would have a lot more money my, in my life if mm-hmm. I hadn't had mm-hmm. anxiety issues uh, that I had to deal with. So, like, you know, Hell everybody yeah. should, like, uh, you know, get like get to the point where you can, like, feel comfortable saying you got to fucking, uh, you know, whatever your thing is, you know? And, like, because there's all this uh, shit, especially, I guess, like, from, you know, for, like, I guess for me being a male, you know, mm-hmm. like, or being a man or whatever, and, like, you don't want to, yes. you're not supposed to fucking admit that uh, you had anxiety or whatever the fuck, yes. and, you know. So anyway, I uh, I just like I didn't want to interrupt you, but I wanted to bring up that uh like this you know super valid, and I think that uh you know more and more people like you know we're we're learning more and more that this is a serious thing that's affecting lots of people, and people have mm-hmm. been keeping it to themselves because mm-hmm. our consumer society is like telling us you know hide hide this shit or be ashamed of how you mm-hmm. feel, and that's mm-hmm. fucking stupid, and I don't believe in it, and a hundred percent. And I just want to like say that's why I'm a big I'm a big fan of your company, and I'm a big fan Thank of you. with it. So. Thank I, you. Yeah. I didn't want to interrupt, but I wanted to uh, chime in and say that uh, I've also experienced like uh, a lot of times, it's, like, you know, it's, like it's pervasive. It's pervasive you know, for a long it's time. All of us. I wouldn't even tell people that I got like anxiety or whatever. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, this is, uh, you know, I'll be perceived as weak if yeah. I admit that that's how I feel. So, and I'm, yes. man, I just, I'm going to pass it back. Oh, no, 100%. Get in there. And like, I, I, you know, I've had, you know, different times in my life when, you know, someone has been, you know, I had a manager who was just a horrible person for a few years. Like, I don't want to say who it is or where it was or anything, but I had a manager who was just like a terrible person for a few years who was like, you just don't seem motivated to take on this project. And like, if you're not like, what is, you know, like, it's up to you to figure out your motivation on things. And that is true. Like we do need to, like for me as someone who's managed people before, it does matter when someone's motivated. And I, I was like, I literally am doing my very, like, I didn't know how to tell him or I didn't know how to get him to understand that. I was like, I'm doing my very best and, and this is the best I can do today. And I, from a managerial standpoint, that sucks for you to have to manage me right now. And at the same time, like, I don't know how to do more than what I'm doing right now. So anywho, the company, um, the Socialite Design Co., we design goods for, I like to say, we design goods for mood imbalanced cutie pies <laughs> uh, who want to like destigmatize the things that they're going through. So like one of the biggest sellers from this first drop was the anxious sweatshirt. And uh, one of the things that I really wanted to do with the company was like, what if we could find a way to talk about these things in a way that doesn't make them like big, heavy, serious things. So like the way that things look is is a big part of it. So like this anxious sweatshirt is like a bright sweatshirt and it has the word anxious and big block leather is kind of a retro 70s font uh, with an exclamation point. And then it's got a, a very bold graphically designed whale shark on it. Um, but kind of like a playful, almost like a kid's uh, design for like a, a nursery kind of thing. And so that's one of the designs that I really, really like and that people really resonate with because, you know, not everyone has anxiety and like clinical anxiety, but almost everyone has the experience of feeling anxious. Um, and then one of the designs that I loved was the love of the most is the depressed tiger. So it's the tiger uh, that is like suspended, kind of jumping and pouncing. And then it's got the word like depressed underneath it with an exclamation point. 
Um, and then, you know, there's the, how am I not myself snake and it's a snake, like a serpent. And it says, how am I not myself underneath it? Uh, there's the unwanted intrusive thoughts, bunny. Uh, the bunny, uh, was to me symbolized like the way intrusive thoughts work for me. And of course, intrusive thoughts are like thoughts that you have that kind of just like storm your brain that you don't want um, most of the time. So like a lot of people with obsessive compulsive disorder, a lot of people with anxiety, depression have unwanted intrusive thoughts. Um, mine for a long time was about um, like driving my car off the road for some reason was just one that I had a lot was like, I would get this image of me driving and I would just like be like, Oh, like I'm driving off the road. And it was something I didn't want to picture. It was very distressing, but it would come into my brain for some reason. Um, and then my, I think my, one of my favorites is also the dissociate with me, uh, twin fish, because, uh, the idea that this was something bigger than me and outside of me and something that could help other people talk about it came from a good friend of mine, Hannah. And she was really the first person that I talked to about this phenomenon of dissociation. I realized just like, that was when I started to see how much of my life I had spent being dissociated because the reality was too painful or too uh, difficult to manage. Uh, and for me, it's like, I don't care if no one ever buys anything. Like I, it's an online community right now where people are talking about like, here's the medicine I took. Here's my experience. Here's how I figured out the right medicine to take. Here's how I did this. Like, I, this is how I'm getting grounded today. Like I'm doing like, outside nature walks to get grounded. And so I don't care if no one ever buys anything, but if there's a place where you can come on the internet um, to learn that there are words to put to your phenomena and your experiences, and there's other people who can talk to you about it. And we're not healthcare providers. None of us are like mental health experts. We're just people who are kind of going about our days. Um, I think that is something that matters tremendously to me, especially as like a black person, a black, like being a black, fat, uh, mentally uh, ill person who grew up poor uh, and and has a lot of debt, like the world is horrible and horrifying um, and has a lot of like queer and trans people who I love and has disabled family, uh, permanently disabled family. Like, it's just like, uh, yeah, the world's trash. And so at the same time as you're like learning and trying to navigate <laughs> your mental health and the world is actively making your mental health worse uh, and your physical health worse because they're, they interplay so, so closely. So also, the company will like direct funds to things that matter a lot to me, like queer and trans mental health support. Um, I'm thinking in one of the next drops, we'll, we'll, we will probably do something around um, uh, people who've been displaced um, through like basically no protections for people who are uh, housing insecure. All that to say... There is a lot of work to be done, but, and so I don't think that just talking about it is enough. Like I actively want to use this company to advocate for policies and things that are better for the world so that we have less health struggles. I also just want to like uh, chime in again and say that I, a big supporter of uh, your company and also uh, we're going in, <laughs> into the lightning round right after this, but I promise it's, okay, do uh, it. it's not the hardest lightning round I've ever written. So you can definitely like uh, <laughs> jump like just right through it just be like bam 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 but before we go just uh just like real quick shout out so the socialite uh design co and just uh can you give all the listeners just like where it's at where they find it like uh website yeah yeah so, yeah. so right now we are on instagram that's probably the place that we are at the most we are on instagram at the socialite design co on instagram d-i-s-s-o-c-i-a-l-i-t-e wow hard to spell this socialite uh, design co and then our website will be up by um probably mid-september if not sooner uh or maybe even the end of this month if i like set aside some time and actually do it 
so yeah, so that's where you can order goods and more things will be coming soon. We are really excited. Oh, and also for sure, uh, for people that are just like, if they follow me uh, on Instagram, my views are my own underscore podcast. Bryn's up there. There's a link. Just go straight to her uh, mm-hmm. for sure. If you want to follow me, I'm Bryn, B-R-Y-N-N, Plum, P-L-U-M-M on Instagram. And oh, as a matter of fact, also on the website, uh, myviewsaround.com will be uh, more links as well. Uh, let's do the lightning round. Lightning round. Are you ready? Because this is like, I'm ready. This is like the contest part of it. So <laughs> like this is this this shows whether or not you can win or win. <laughs> I have a really good feeling you're gonna win. <clears throat> All right, we're gonna shoot through it. Uh, the way this works anyway is just that it's I ask you a question, gut reaction, don't think. Don't take any time to think. Okay. First thing pops in your head, Perfect. that's what we roll with. All right. Who's an entrepreneur that you think is inspiring? You can say yourself. I would. <laughs> I have a friend. <laughs> I have a friend uh, named uh, Karen Williams, who I met through the Entrepreneur Center. And she has a company called MinTech Agency. And she finds and hires minority tech talent for uh, companies. And um, I think she's really inspiring. She's also just a person who just like has it together. Like she gets up at five most days. She runs. She has three amazing kids who are teenagers. And like they all love her and like like her, which is hard. Um, and she's an amazing wife and just a good community member too. She takes care of people. I just like really look up to her. You heard it here first. Karen Williams is the most inspiring entrepreneur. Check her out. <laughs> all right. Uh, what's your favorite song to perform at hip hop karaoke? Um, any Megan the Stallion. Um, I love Meg. I usually do UGK's, uh, Kryptonite? International Players Anthem. Oh, right. yeah, no. oh, Kryptonite is so good. International Players Anthem no, yeah, is what I usually do. Yeah. They're both, they're both um, but Megan is what I've been loving lately. I can't wait to do WAP. Yeah, dude, I'm so fucking dope that... Uh, <laughs> uh, that uh, or not, I'm so fucking dope. I'm so glad <laughs> that that dope-ass song... Like, and it's funny to me, these fucking weasels like uh, Ben Shapiro <laughs> being like, I don't understand what a wet ass pussy has. I my wife has never had one, and it's like geez, we know. It's, it's like <laughs> we're like, dude, you're just getting windmill dunked on constantly. <laughs> just shut up. I hate that fucking guy. All right, uh, <laughs> moving on. I cannot wait to do that verse when we get to hit. Oh, it's, it's yeah. I'll be there. I'll be there cheering for you. Okay. Um, good. What was your favorite scene from I I Heart Huckabees? Oh, my favorite scene from I Heart Huckabees. Um. Shout out that movie again. Dinner, the dinner table scene. The dinner. Oh, I don't want to do any spoilers because I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it yet. But yeah, no. The dinner but when Gene's they when the people when the, when the, when the white, oh, the, It's like the Republican family, and he's like, yes. and, the, and he's the firefighter, and like she's like, you're a hero. Yes, <laughs> I love that scene so much. All right, that's a good one. I can I chime in? Cause I want to say like, you have the, to chime in the part when he goes, uh, like, uh, how am I not myself? And, and the bully starts like questioning himself. Yes. But also the part when, uh, obviously when Mark Wahlberg, who's a firefighter refuses to use gas powered vehicles and he rides his bike to the fire <laughs> and he starts dancing when he gets there or, uh, and one other one. And I just got to say this too, is when, uh, uh, his buddy needs to escape the room and uh, Mark Wahlberg starts a fight with all the people, like all the like mentally ill people. 
It's so good. It's All so right. good. Oh, we got to move on. This, this is the lightning round. I'm sitting here just talking about what I like about a movie. Most people probably haven't. Even this is a very it. long commercial for a movie that is for. Hey, years man. Old. Yeah. By the way, man. Whatever production company made that movie, send me a check. You All know, right. it was Focus Features. I mean, who was killing it? Focus Features was to the early 2000s what A24 is to our current moment. They were putting yeah, out yeah. hits. Eternal Sunshine. Hits. Most Charlie Kaufman features. Hits. All right. Now, I know you've got a degree in comparative literature. So, Mm -hmm. which comic book publisher is better, DC or Marvel? Okay. um, I'll be honest. I don't know enough about either of them, but I love the X-Men, and I have always identified deeply with the X-Men. So, I'm going to have to go Marvel. Well, you're definitely right. You answered that question 100% correctly. Uh, The X-Men are the best uh, comic book series of all time. Uh, Stan Lee, RIP. RIP. Let's move on. Uh, Ooh, another comparative literature question. Uh, Which is better, Horton Hears a Who or The Cat in the Hat? I'm going to go Cat in the Hat because truly um, that cat was a scammer, and I love a scam. Okay, okay. I, I totally feel that. I actually, I would have, I would have gone the other way, but it's not about <laughs> me. It's about you. All right. Uh, this is another, it's kind of like in the same like comparative literature thing. Would you okay. rather write a novel in pen or pencil? Pen. Can't say computer. Uh, pen for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm actually writing a fan fiction novel entirely in the comments thread of an IR talking uh clip on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say one more thing about IR Huckabees? Hell yeah, you can. <laughs> okay, so um, IR Huckabees is a phenomenal film. If you can, I highly encourage you. I've watched like pretty much everything behind the scenes on this film, like director's cut, like, uh, you know, stars talk about it. Uh, any backstage, like back scene behind the scenes thing. There are some insane, I keep saying the word insane, that's ableist. There's some wild fights between Lily Tomlin and David O. Russell on the set of this film. David O. Russell, the director, is a notorious asshole. Um, and I can't believe he made such a beautiful film. Wrote and directed it, co-wrote and directed it. Um, there are some wild fights between him and Lily Tomlin on set that make me want to go give Lily Tomlin a hug. And uh, it's weird. Like, what a beautiful movie. And Isabelle Huppier is another person in the movie, French actress. It is weird that such a beautiful film was created out of what looks to me like an absolutely knockdown, drag-out fight between Lily Tomlin and David O. Russell. Uh, and in some ways it makes me like sad <laughs> to watch the film hey, to know that it was hell for Lily Tomlin. You know, great artists uh, are passionate and that's might be why it's so fucking good. Uh, that's true. And we give license to white male quote unquote geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> like me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next one. Uh, who do you think is the least inspiring entrepreneur? Um, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. <laughs> Or, or Jeff Bezos, really any Damn. white man who has accrued billions that they don't deserve on the backs of underpaying their labor force and zing, zing. public. Fucking boom, man. I'm a, you know, I've got, I've got beef with <laughs> all these people. With uh, all these people. Jeff Bezos, a little bit myself. That dude could end, end world hunger today if he wanted to, but yeah. he's not gonna. All right. He could fund <laughs> reparations. He could, you know, restore tribal lands to every native uh community and and nation uh no he's just accruing private wealth yeah what is the next company you're gonna start 
Okay, so I'm working on a cosmetics company with my buddy Charles. Uh, It's called Mark Cosmetics, M-A-R-Q. And the premise behind the company is uh, that it is for, it is makeup that is solutions focused, primarily targeted towards men, people who are non-binary or uh, agendered, and people who don't use makeup. So the company is a lot of times in the beauty industry, one, because the beauty industry has been primarily targeted towards women, it is incredibly overpriced. It is poorly made. And it is also really built on this idea of something about you is like something about your personage. You need to always be striving to be like a better person is really ideas focused. Whereas men and people who don't use makeup primarily are looking for like cosmetic solutions that solve a problem are cheap um, or more accessible to buy and also um, help them like on a temporary basis. The idea with like women's makeup is like, it's going to, you know, you're going to use it forever. You're never going to get off it. So um, it started because my husband fell down uh, during quarantine while he was having a little drinky poo and he had a little red mark on his face and he wanted me to fix it for a Zoom call so people wouldn't ask him about this red mark on his face all day. And I just used some color corrector on him. And if you don't know, color corrector is like, basically, if you have a red spot, you put this green color corrector on it and it looks neutral and kind of takes the redness away. And so um, I talked to my buddy, Charles, who's in the cosmetic industry. And he's like, there is no men's makeup that is not grounded in like toxic masculinity. Um, and there's also no, and something like, like men spend like $300 million a year on women's makeup products. And um, cosmetics is one of the like fastest growing industries globally. Not, not going to lie to uh, for that whole like cultural uh, white cis male, whatever shit. Uh, so I shaved off my, uh, my crazy ass beard for this interview. Cause I was like, yeah. I was like, man, I don't want Bryn looking at me like thinking I'm like, <laughs> like a fucking Charles Manson type dude. Uh, my beard is like, it's, it's like multicolored too. Like it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like it just grows out that way. So like my mustache is blonde. My sideburns oh my are black. Uh, a lot of like the mid uh, like the chops kind of, or, you know, like the mid area, like, like kind of brown. And then I got like a few little gray hairs coming in there too. They're freaking me out. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I was so proud of myself. I was like, I remembered to put on my aftershave and I was like, fuck yeah, man, self-care. And uh, obviously that's a cultural fucking thing is like, if I think that like shaving my face once in two months <laughs> and, and putting on aftershave is like a giant... <laughs> Uh, accomplishment, <laughs> then clearly there's some fucked up shit going on in the world. <laughs> I mean, uh, men's attitudes towards makeup are rapidly changing, and we're also looking at our faces more than ever because we're like on Zoom calls, and you know, oh, men yeah. are increasingly like on TikTok and things like that. Like the target customer for us here is like a guy who has a dop kit, like the guy who has cologne, but it's also like you know, it's going to be cheaper than any color like color corrector on the market, and it's also going to be formulated as well as the luxury brands like the makeup because the makeup product that i used on my husband that day when he had that little mark was like 36 dollars a tube um this will be more like 11 12 dollars a tube um and it's really marketed towards like fixing a single thing like you have a red dot on your face spot this on keep it moving oh uh, one um, last time uh what's the uh, name of the company mark m-a-r-q mark M-A-R-Q. cosmetics also yeah that was in the yeah. uh i'll put I'll, I'll try and put that in the notes yeah uh okay yeah. I, I got three questions left we'll Okay. We, we will lightning. We will lightning through these. I <laughs> promise. Uh, if one of the listeners to my views are my own podcast visits Nashville, obviously they should go to Hip Hop Karaoke hosted by Bryn Plummer. But yes, if that's not an option, what's a spot in Nashville that you would recommend uh, people check out? Like whatever. Ooh, okay. I would say um, either. I would say the Nashville Palace, uh, which is a bar 
that is out near where I live in a place called Music Valley, which is essentially like not quite Donaldson, not quite Madison by Aubrey Mills. And it is an old school honky tonk where you can actually hear like country, Western country, Western and country and Western music, I should say. So like Western swing country from like the 50s, 60s and 70s. And there's always dancing. uh, And it's just like a, it's just fantastic. It feels like what you would, what you're supposed to get when you go to Broadway, but it's not Broadway. Oh yeah. (laughs) You heard it here first. If you come to Nashville and you want to see some country shit, Go to the palace. Don't go to fucking Broadway, man. There's, it's nothing. Don't do it. It's, 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 Don't do it. It's you're right. going to hear Cheryl Crow covers. I mean, unless <laughs> you want to like ride in the, what's that like that <laughs> hot tub? Everybody gets like shit faced. They drive like driver, <laughs> they like. There's a trailer that drags it around a hot tub. I, I don't know. All right. There's just too many vehicles to drag <laughs> drunk people around. Honestly, at this point in Nashville's history. Speaking of Nashville. Are you going to vote for my views on my own podcast for best podcast in the Nashville scene 2020 best of? I kind of feel like I have to, right? Like I have to promote the brand, I believe. I don't know if there's a better podcast coming out of Nashville, honestly. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm not like a psycho, egotistical dude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. And last question. Uh, what do you think is the best mid-sized vehicle on the market right now? oh my god okay well my dad sold used cars uh sold cars for most of my growing up so i spent a lot of time on the lot oh you should have have an opinion then i do uh i spent a lot of time on the lot best best mid-sized car hmm i'm gonna i i know this is basic I'm going to say the Toyota Camry. Um, it's not basic. <laughs> I, 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 just I had feel a Camry like, for years. Like one, your resale value is great. Two, you're going to drive that thing to the damn wheels fall off. Three, the interior feels luxe uh, for it being a midsize car. Four, you can get the hybrid. Um, I just think as far as like if you're thinking long-term value, um, cost to own, cost of ownership, like I think, I think that's the way to go. I mean. Yeah, that's what I would do. All right. You heard it here first. Toyota Camry. Hey, by the way, Toyota, send me a check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bryn, I, I took you. I, I know that uh, I promised that I would. I'm uh, I'm I promised, I promised, I promised that I would keep. I would not keep you too long. And I did anyway. But I just want to say <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I love being on. I, I, I just love talking. I could talk all day. You're easy to talk to. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. Let's do it again. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you so much, Doug. Talk soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to My Views Are My Own. You can contact me at myviewsaremyown.com or on Instagram at myviewsaremyown underscore podcast or on Twitter at myviews underscore podcast or on Gmail at myviewsaremyown.podcast at Gmail. And we're going to have the Black Light Velvets play us out with a new song called Beneath My Flowers. Thanks again.